Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, welcome to Kernels. This is episode 10. I'm Christopher Eaton and I'm here with... My colleagues Jacob Stallworthy and Jack Shepherd. Hello, hello. So, um, it's no secret that studios have been having a rough time the last couple of years. I think it's fair to say, like, there's mm. obviously been some big successes, but then a lot of flops that probably outnumber them. And just the last week or two, the conversation has turned to Rotten Tomatoes, um, particularly in light of I think The Mummy and Baywatch, which both bombed, and now Rotten Tomatoes' negative score has been kind of attributed to it, even though. I think if it asked anyone on our desk whether a mummy film would have worked, we could have told <laughs> Universal that in seconds. Quite, quite clear, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's got to the point now where, I mean, it becomes like an actual headline in itself. It's kind of gone full circle, whereas obviously the headlines influence, you know, go directly into Rotten Tomatoes. But now, you know, it comes around again and people actually write, you know, I'm sure we've written a story that's been like, it gets, you know, a perfect 100% rating on completely, on yeah. or has got a 10%, you know, the lowest for this kind of film. Yeah. Um, so it, it does have, a, it does seem to have a big influence um, to the point where these, these like beleaguered studios are now trying to blame it on it. There was um, a piece in Vanity Fair, they got hold of um, an independent study that was commissioned by 20th Century Fox in 2015 called Rotten Tomatoes in the Box Office. And um, the conclusion to the study was the power of Rotten Tomatoes and fast breaking word of mouth will only get stronger. Many millennials and even Gen Xers now get now vet every single purchase through the internet, whether it's restaurants, video games, makeup, consumer electronics, or movies. As they get older and comprise an even larger share of total moviegoers, this behaviour is unlikely to change. Um, so, I mean, full disclosure: we obviously we're on Rotten Tomatoes. Our work is on there. I mean, yeah. But uh, I mean, we, it doesn't. We don't exactly rely on it as for a huge portion of our traffic. So yeah, I don't feel we like don't write too... it in the hope. Oh, it's going to go on Rotten <laughs> yeah, Tomatoes. Yeah, I don't yeah. feel hugely biased. <laughs> Um, but I guess to start with, I mean, obviously our experience of it is atypical because we come from the side of a critic, but how do you guys use it if you do? And if you do, when do you? And for which kind of films? I think, I mean, I use it for most films, especially when you think about buying a cinema ticket, which is 15 quid, sometimes more, especially when you're going to IMAX screenings. You don't want to spend that on something that isn't going to be... Of yeah, yeah. If you've got, if you've got the the opportunity to improve, yeah, improve that choice, then exactly. you may as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't expect. You know, is a commitment, so you want to check that. And you, I think it's a good thing, mainly. But the problem is that it is just a. It's good. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into the the binary thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you? I think I'm. I, I use it less than Jack. I think I used. Mm. I used it more um, years ago. Really, uh, now I, I use. Like letterbox way more i think it's more mm. i think people it, it it doesn't just champion the critics it champions the the cinema goer the casual cinema how does letterbox work for like people who don't use it uh so it's basically uh it's, it's a diary of of the films you've watched so if you watch a film you can note down you don't have to put note down when you watch it but it's quite nice to kind of keep track of when you've watched yeah. things and you can go on you can rate it out of five you can write your review you can make lists um 
you know, of any films you've seen this year. So it's, and you can order it. So at the end of the year, if you want to do your end of year list, you can go back and just it's very easy to just remember what you've seen and how much you liked it. Um, and it's very much it's very much not just black or white. It's yeah. it's a place to go to where you can actually get a real um, kind of measured response to a film oh and you take you look at critics who you respect and you, you don't use I mean you can do all your friends or okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and because a lot of people are using it it's not it's kind of worth it as opposed to Rotten Tomatoes or, or Flickster in a day like that you know not a lot of people ever really used it so you couldn't really get a sense of of what was a good film or what wasn't a good film yeah um, so for me Rotten Tomatoes yeah I don't really use it as much um, I don't yeah and I, I'm not sure I, li- I like the idea of Rotten Tomatoes yeah. I think I don't really use it for going to the cinema particularly, but I do use it for VOD stuff. Yeah. And it's just because it's you're in the browser anyway to watch the film. All you've got to do is open up another one and check. Yeah. And I also think I use it for crappier films, maybe. Yeah. I think maybe I, <laughs> I subconsciously, if it's, like, if it's like a kind of a more out there film, I think I don't, I don't need to know a consensus for this because I know it's going to be all over the place and I need to make my own mind up. Sure. Whereas if I'm just like, I need to watch... A crappy action film right now that's just going to get me through the day. Yeah, I will probably check it because I just want to know that it's genuine, generally good. Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, so I mean, so the the whole like this allegation from the studios that it's it's killing their movies. Do you think increased review exposure? Like, I mean, obviously not increased reviews. They're still broadly the same amount they used to be, but the fact that people are exposed to them more now that this it is having an impact. I, I mean, I guess it is. I think it is having an impact. I think it has. I think it has actually more impact than people are led to believe. To be honest, um, I think like you, you both touched on, cinema prices are just r- ridiculous. I mean, yeah. we are we are in a privileged position. I mean, cr- I think critics do forget that they don't pay to go to the cinema. Yeah. They they really don't, and that for some people they really will look to um, a critic whether they you know whether they seek a critic out or whether they just google the name of a film and just go to the first review they find they will listen to what is written um so i think if the if there's uh increased review exposure i think it is going to have an impact it's interesting actually going on a tangent slightly because i think a few years ago people were talking about how film criticism was dying because you know how now anyone and everyone rightly so has an opinion about film and shares about it on they were saying you know what does it matter if a critic says this they're just another person yeah but actually it's like it's come round again now yeah. to with all these aggregators and where it means everything and it, and if the, the you know the embargo drops on the day and all these bad reviews come out it like kills it yeah it does interesting. well i think it's the way everyone talks about fake news all the time and so people are going to more prestigious news websites people are now going to more prestigious critics because everyone does have an opinion and seeing so many reactions on social media you kind of just want someone who you know has a quality viewpoint and has and knows how to compare it to other films yeah. and will come at it from perhaps a non-biased perspective mm-hmm. um, so you go to places like Rotten Tomatoes which are verified critics I think that the only problem there is that there are Rotten Tomatoes does include some really kind of like rogue blogs that's true. Quite sketchy. Yeah. Mm. I think Metacritic is actually a bit more selective in who they, yeah. they use. But yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is kind of... I sometimes get like really in the weeds of Rotten Tomatoes, like going through the reviews, and you end up on some like bizarre, like really small town Christian mm. blog, and there's like their really? thoughts on like Transformers or something. It's like, yeah. that's, that's crazy to me, because I, I don't use Rotten Tomatoes in it, it so much that I, re- I would have known that. That's crazy. So yeah. literally, anyone who writes a review, it will just, they'll just be like, yeah, put no, it on. I mean, they do have a, like a list, but their list is... 
Huge, I guess not very so difficult to get onto. Yeah. Like, I don't could know. do with a little, uh, yeah, little could do with some curation amendment. <laughs> yeah, um, so to kind of live, to give like in terms of like breaking down whether it's actually a good thing or not that mm. this is happening to films. Kind of two very contrasting opinions here. So um, Brett Ratner, the Batman vs Superman producer, mm. described Rotten Tomatoes as the worst thing that we have in today's movie culture. I mean, he's obviously a little bit biased coming from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't get a great um, response, but he, he carried on. He said, um, I have such respect and admiration for film criticism. When I was growing up, film criticism was a real art and there was, intellectual, and there was intellect that went into it. And you would read Pauline Kael's reviews or some others and that just doesn't exist anymore. Now mm-hmm. it's about a number, a compounded number of how many positives versus negatives. Now it's about what's your Rotten Tomatoes score. That's sad because the Rotten Tomatoes score was so low on Batman v Superman. I think it put a cloud over a movie that was incredibly successful. But, I mean, well, for a starters, I don't know why he thinks that anyone going to see Batman v Superman would have been interested to read a Pauline Kael review. Instead. Well, that's a point. <laughs> that's a very good but point. But yeah, who's this like, like cinema guy. girl he's imagining like mm-hmm. that would be doing that instead? They would never seek that out. It's not no. like that's the option. Mm. Um, but then, I mean, t- yeah. I mean, I think I think the thing is, like, it, it does come down to um, who the cinema girl is. And I think if you're if you are like a uh, you know someone who, who who would read a Pauline Care review or even know who that is, you're probably not going to go on Rotten Tomatoes and check um, what the score is, see whether it's it's rotten, certified, fresh, or whatever. I, I mean, largely you're not going to. You're going to know, know that it's a certain director that you want to see that film, regardless, right? I think people are becoming more aware of things like Rotten Tomatoes, and I think this is why producers are so scared of it. Mm. Because a lot more people who aren't as interested in films are going on to those sort of sites because yeah. it's so easy to. But that's what I, I was going to say, on the flip side, there are those people, the casual cinema goes, mm. who probably would, and they're probably so set in their ways that they've done it forever and they probably will do it forever more. Yeah. Which makes it dangerous. And if more people are doing that, I mean, the internet's only getting bigger, yeah. then I guess it, it, it makes sense for the studios to put Rotten Tomatoes scores on posters or whatever. Yeah. Well, they are doing that more. I mean, yeah. you see, you know, like there was that film Hunt for the Wilder People, which they were promoting as 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and yeah. they kept throwing that down our throats. That it's 100%. It's the best movie. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, you know, it's not a 100% movie, but it is a good film. Yeah. And it's kind of, obviously, it appeals to the... And it could eventually do damage to the film, yeah. no? Like, people would yeah. go expecting this, this all-timer and then they... And I'm, yeah, they yeah, yeah. It, I'm not saying it's not bad. It's a great film. Although it's, it's more... At least that's more transparent than how they've been using pull quotes on posters, which I don't know if any, <laughs> everyone realises how fucked up that process is. Okay, like, in what, what are you, like, referring yeah. to in particular? So, for, like, for listeners who don't know, every single billboard that you go past and every poster where it says, you know, five-star, the Daily Mail says fantastic stunning or whatever yeah. that's not direct quote from the mm. review you won't find that that's literally just the reaction yeah. that, um, from a screening yeah. which is quite unbelievable and yeah. I think it's yeah. very open to abuse in the way you often walk past them and you're like who said that that's, yeah. that's not a, like a, a stunning <laughs> film and then it was just they said that to you know whoever was marketing the film they didn't actually put that down in their review which yeah. It's quite, it's quite and they, they might, have, might have written it in the hope of being on the poster, but yeah. it's still very, it's, it's quite dishonest, I guess, in, in many respects. What I started like when they started doing the whole um, uh, on posters, I think they reserve it for kind of like comedy, like kind of rubbishy comedy films, where they just go, you know, it was really funny. And then I leave just like Sally from Wigan. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love, I love it. They've just started doing like Twitter <laughs> profiles yeah, as yeah. well. Like <laughs> this person said this. And, it's, and it, in a way, it is like what? But it, it, I suppose if they're going to put Rotten Tomato scores on there, they are, I don't know, 
I've, they've probably been invited to like a, a, a fan screening where they got a free ticket. So they're probably more inclined to be like, it was so it was such a fun thrill mm. ride or whatever. Yeah, it's like they vox boxed people outside the cinema <laughs> and just go, what did you think? Oh my God, you loved it. Let's put this on the poster. I love it. <laughs> Paul from Birmingham. <laughs> I, I do care what Paul from Birmingham thinks, you know. But again, I think that's why people are going to Rotten Tomatoes to look for what yeah. critics have actually said. Yeah. Instead yeah, of relying fun. on... Yeah. Graham from Gloucester. Yeah, exactly. And then, so yeah, so the other, so we had Brett Ratner obviously being incredibly critical about it. Um, another film, Vanity Fair, cited um, a marketing executive and independent film distributor said simply, to me, it's a ridiculous argument that Rotten Tomatoes is the problem. Fuck you, make a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which is also <laughs> a very valid yeah. opinion, but. I mean, yeah. You want to shout that to half directs in Hollywood, I guess. Yeah. Play. I think, like, it, the thing with with criticism in general is like I think you can kind of every now and then there does it does a film does come along where you expect to get good reviews and it doesn't but most of the time you can probably predict the way it's going to go by what kind of film it is and who's in it and who's directed it or whatever and I think um, there's more isolated instances of films not getting the love they deserve like on Rotten Tomatoes than the other way around like films getting you know high yeah. praise when it doesn't deserve it I think the films that deserve the praise will get the praise but then there are some films who really deserve the praise and could do with the praise yeah, that yeah. don't and that for that reason I don't like love Rotten Tomatoes yeah I can see the issue there because like something like Suicide Squad or Batman vs Superman isn't kind of going to be actually affected because people are going to go and see it anyway just because it's such a huge event Yeah. or if anything is they're going to go and see it for the spectacle of seeing this movie that everyone thought was going to be great and is now apparently terrible yeah. so that's why those films continue to do well then you get ones that are like weaker franchises I guess like The Mummy that struggle when that happens but then yeah the real casualties like you say are uh, yeah films that you like you champion and you feel strongly yeah. about and then you see it's but it's like a forty percent and yeah. that's definitely happened to me a couple of times that, um, that Terrence Malick film Song to Song I love yeah. I came out and gave it a five-star review and a load of people gave it one. And now everyone has already made up their mind. They're like, oh, Malik's latest pretentious load of like yeah. wankery. And it's like, oh, no one's going to watch it now because of that, which is a shame. And you said you had a similar thing with um, the film you saw this week, right? Okay, so there's a film called It Comes at Night, which is this, well, it's being billed as a horror when it's actually a psychological thriller. And it's from this guy called Trey Edward Schultz, who's just done a short film before called Krisha. And I saw the film uh, last week before interviewing him and I didn't love it. I was expecting it to be something else completely different to what it was, which isn't what was bad about it. There's a lot of other things I'm going to go into now that I didn't, didn't love about it. Um, one of which was uh, I thought it was a really uh, botched, rushed ending, uh, kind of bleak for the sake of being bleak. Because I love a bleak ending, but this mm. one I just didn't feel like it was justified. And I interviewed him this morning, the director, and I just wanted to kind of just speak to him and see if I could get an understanding of you know where, where, where I didn't watching the film. And uh, he actually, without me saying anything, he he um, cited quite a few reviews and about about um, that had highlighted how bleak and uh, out of nowhere and pointless the ending was. And he was really upset about it, and he, he kind of described to me his motivations behind it. And now I've come away and I'm in a bit of a catch-22 because cause I, I, I'm going to review this film. And having seen the film, do I write about what I thought initially or do I write about, do I take into account what he wanted? Yeah. You know, it's, re it's really hard. And I think with these reviews, with, with the um, Rotten Tomatoes reviews where they take snapshots of a review, 
it's it's quite some can be quite misrepresentative. Of yeah, what there's they some reasons to go for the most venomous one or the most right. like extolling kind of. Film. Yeah, like for example, Cars Three, which came out in the states last week, and there was a lot of chat about um, all the reviews and on Rotten Tomatoes, it was pretty much all male critics, and then there was one female voice. I think it was for um, Entertainment Weekly. And on if you if you just looked at it at one glance, you'd think she really loved the film. Um, and uh, when you actually click on and you read the review, she didn't love the film at all. She just kind of wrote one positive thing, and they've pulled it out and kind of said, "Yep, yeah, this this," and, and said for this lady, she loved this film, but she didn't. And I think she expressed that on Twitter. She's like, "I just wanted to point out, I did, yeah, I didn't yeah. love this film." Well, I think a, another example would be something like King Arthur, which I know has a really low Rotten Tomatoes score, but lots of people have come out of that film really enjoying it. Yeah. And I think it it kind of seems... I haven't actually seen it, but it looks like a very down-the-middle, kind of three-star-ish film. Yeah. That's what my brother said anyway. <laughs> and it's kind of... You lose that with Rotten Tomatoes. You don't have those middle-of-the-road films anymore. It's either certified fresh, really good, or it's, like, rotten and it's bad. There's mm. no kind of middle ground which anyone kind of talks about. And if it is somewhere in there, it kind of, it will just lose it. Like yeah. no one will go see it. Anyway. And, and the reason you're getting that as well is this I'm saying with Cars 3, it's like even more obvious than, the, you know, the lack of women in that list is there's no like 10 year old boys in it. And that's yeah. like, that's what matters. You've got all these like middle-aged people saying about what they view, on, what their views are on Cars 3. And it's like, and I, I guess that like, point. I, yeah. I honestly, it gives me a heart attack having to try and review a kid's film because I can't, <laughs> I don't. It's so difficult to try and judge it as just for what it is. Yeah, and you can obviously still try to and still say you know it's easy to say and you can look at films like Up and you can say that is objectively a really good kids film. But mm. it's also for the for the ones that are a little bit lighter. It's hard to not. You just want to. You you are bored and you want to hate them, but you're like, well, a kid is probably going to love this. Like, yeah, I, I remember like Triple X, the Vin Diesel film, the, <laughs> the first one oh. came out when I was twelve years old. Yeah, I thought it was great. He was like jumping off a bridge in a Ferrari. I was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> and, uh, and as a as a film going experience, my twelve year old self, that was great. I'd watch it now and be like, "This the latest. Oh, it's just guns and cars." Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it is hard. I think. Um, also, like, I, I mean, like how how long until like you said, like the bad, like King Arthur. Mm. Uh, it's kind of ca- it's carried around if it's if it's not seen as a good film on Rotten Tomatoes it kind of carries that tag around like a bad stench really um, and then you just won't watch it because of that and then you might watch it online and be like this was alright I don't understand but like I did a little bit of digging and went back on Rotten Tomatoes and there were just two films that reached out to me that now if you look on Rotten Tomatoes are seen as um, not good films like with quite bad um, scores certified rotten right, certified rotten <laughs> one, of, one of which is well I'll start with the one I'm most angry about it's flipping Austin Powers 2 The Spy Who Shags Me which I, I just want to say is, is one of my <laughs> best, <laughs> the best sequel I think of all time really I do think that Hot if only take. I was a critic back in 99 seriously <laughs> but if you look on there it's it's 51% and it's got that green logo which suggests it's bad yeah. Austin Powers 2 which is one of the you know probably <laughs> the best comedy of our time and he so had so many bold statements coming I should tell the, the listeners I'm full of crazy statements but that one's not crazy that's just fact like, <laughs> I mean, the other one though is um, I watched film I rewatched uh, The Rules of Attraction recently the, I think the, the Brett Easton yeah, is yeah. the one that he wrote and Roger Avery James directed Van Der Beek and, James uh, Van Der Beek yeah like real real throwback to the to the yeah. 90s whatever you know I think it's, yeah, it's recent 2002 but it's really it's quite 
it's doing some bold things. Yeah, so like yeah, stylistically, yeah. it's quite cool. You know, it's not amazing. If you look on there, if you look on what tomorrow's, it's it's forty three percent. Yeah. So, like, say that's on Netflix and someone wants to watch it and they go by Rotten Tomatoes, so they'll just discard that immediately. So, I guess here's, like, an aspect that we haven't really thought about. Like, the whole concept of damning with fake praise, which how it applies to Rotten Tomatoes is often that it's, it's like manufactured fake praise because the review might say, and I've definitely felt this about a lot of films, like, I really enjoyed watching this film. I really enjoyed the idea of it and what it was trying to do. Yeah. Ultimately, it made a lot of mistakes along the way. But, you know, so I can't, I'm not going to, I'm going to give it three stars. Yeah. But that, my review is not saying, meh. No. Take like, uh, like the Neon Demon, the Nicholas Vinnie Reffin film. I'm glad I watched that and I would recommend people to watch it and it's yeah. interesting. But I would have, you know, I'd give it like something around that area just because it has some faults. Sure. But, but when you amount all, if all of those people have come from it from that perspective and you aggregate their thoughts as it's two, three out of five, mm. you end up with this like yellow box that just says it's, Sorry, it's, it's, yeah. it's and that's that's not actually what people were saying. So it does seem like the way they aggregate reviews is kind of doesn't necessarily reflect what people are actually saying. Yeah, it's true. I don't think it's helped by so many publications competing to have their reviews shared online. Everyone there seems to be more of a push for five star reviews. This is an amazing yeah. headline. One star review. This yeah. is a, you know the worst film that's ever existed. Just because people will share that more or click on that more and I think that culture is probably what's egging on something yeah. like Rotten Tomatoes because I know people try not to do it and we try not to do it but sometimes you'll see a, just a tiny quote in the review and you'll be like that's the headline that's this really wide thing I know someone's gonna go on Twitter and post that and be like oh my god and yeah. share this around and I think that's become a real temptation and that's probably part of the issue as well that kind of feeds into this. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And actually, it's like a microcosm of a much larger mm. point that it happens like everywhere on the internet. You know, you see with like political discourse, it's everything is like this is this act they're trying to pass is the the worst thing, or this speech someone made is the best thing or the worst thing. And it, and it happens to film criticism too. And it is it is a worry, isn't it, that that happens? That everyone's kind of driven to bin something or like say it's incredible yeah mm. which i guess in terms of the rotten tomatoes we, we were saying this earlier chris about um like yeah if it's a film that is good and deserves praise and it's not getting it uh, you know optimizes and helping its cause that really sucks but if it is a film like Pirates of the caribbean 20 and if if rotten tomatoes is going to kind of maybe help if it, compiling the negative reviews and hope and in the help of drowning that franchise out then that is a good thing yeah. in one way. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I think that's what's happened to The Mummy because that hasn't done big at the box office no. because it has been badly reviewed and it is a terrible film. Mm. So that's yeah. probably you a good sign of it. offended by that film. I hated that film. I thought it was so terrible. Yeah, whatever we can do to kill off the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise <laughs> and The Mummy one before it even starts again. Yeah. It's just, that's God's work. And I'm, I put my heart to that for sure. <laughs> Definitely. It's funny, um, the city... Paramount's president of worldwide distribution, um, Megan Culligan, she said, um, she's, so she's, like, she's not like anti-criticism or anti-Rotten Tomatoes, but said, um, it's not word of mouth around the movies anymore, it's word of mouth around the reviews. And yeah. I, that, is, that is a worry that I guess, you know, and we're guilty of this, we, you create so much talk about the film mm. that people won't say, oh, I've heard it's bad, it's just like, oh, it got terrible reviews. That's, yeah. that's kind of interesting as well. But. That's quite worrying, isn't it, really? 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess, uh, what do you think the conclusion to all this is? So um, in that internal report that like Fox commissioned to try and work out what the hell is going on, um, it said uh, one of the recommendations was consider not giving the critics a chance to slam you. Um, they said, well, it's never a great feeling to withhold from critics. Now it may help to at least preserve your Friday. So this idea that, you know, they might have less previews, which we do we do see, don't we? At the moment, it only happens for the kind of very... They know it's ridiculous. Like, I think Fantastic Four, right? They didn't yeah. They didn't do them. They're like, they we've got a stinker here. Let's just not give it to the critics. But if they start to do that for bigger films, which I could definitely see them doing, that yeah. is quite worrying. Yeah, it is worrying. And they did it with Wonder Woman to an extent, yeah, because... They, I mean, I, I went to the cinema with my girlfriend. We just bought tickets, and there were no pre-screenings for that yeah. film at all. Like, no one was able to see it. Um, a couple of reviews came out, but it was quite difficult for... You know, they didn't do a mass multimedia like they normally do, um, even though it was a good film. And they were obviously worried that people react to it in the same way they did to Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman. And that that immediately made me worried about the film, having not seen it and kind of being, oh no, they're not showing anyone else. Mm. Then they did it for King Arthur as well, they didn't mm. show anyone. And you immediately go, oh, warning bells. And if there isn't that criticism beforehand, if people don't aren't able to go to their favourite critics and see a review, and then I don't think people will spend that money. I think people are going to stop. People will not order tickets beforehand. Mm. But I mean, this is I mean, an issue. I, I, I don't, I don't like make this claim or I don't want to say anything that, that you know I'm going to be held to task for but I do think that it's a film reviews are really only necessary when it's for the little films that need a boost yeah I really do think that I think to be honest a review of Wonder Woman or of the latest Marvel film you know it has its audience people for the most part who are going to see it will see it regardless of what the review says uh, so let's say, for example, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 got one star, two stars everywhere. It People were still going to go and see that film. Wonder Woman obviously got great reviews, and I do think in that case it's probably done better because of it. Um, so obviously what I'm saying doesn't really... it's not You can't really say it across the board. Yeah. But I do think that ultimately critics, you know, one day maybe if there was a limit on the films that critics reviewed and outlets were more likely to go, go and see this little independent film and review that. Don't bother with four, eight, because, you know, people are going to go see that. Um, it's quite then that, that might be quite nice one day. Yeah. I don't know. It's quite ironic how the one person complaining is the guy who did Batman v Superman, who <laughs> made, you know, 800, 900 million anyway, despite yeah. having that score. Like it should be an. Well, did you reckon he like may have made more money? Had, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He probably. I mean, they were hoping for a billion, probably. Yeah. And because they made a bad film, they didn't get that. But it's not. It's just not the critics' fault that you made a bad film. I think. I, just, I, mean, I think. I think. Well, if they do start um, not doing advanced screens, I think they'll disguise it as well. They obviously won't come and say that's why. I think what they'll do is like so. A bit of background: when we review TV, we get. Um, advanced screeners most of the time but um, with Game of Thrones they don't because partly because they don't need to because mm. everyone's going to write about it anyway yeah. with sometimes you get advanced screeners because they're trying to boost your interest in the show to see if you want to write about it Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, with um, but also with Game of Thrones, they do it because they're worried about leaks, and I could imagine them starting to that bleeding into film where they're going. You know, we've got this huge, this huge film coming, this huge DC film, and it's just going to drop on this day, and you're not going to get to see it first because we're worried about it leaking, or like yeah. it's mm-hmm. just going to come out of nowhere. And I feel like they could use that as a way to disguise, yeah, getting out there without having it go past critics first. for sure. It'd be a shame to almost kind of strip away the excitement of the build-up of of that particular film. So say, for example, they were like one day, like, Christopher Nolan is dropping a new film on this day. We're not going to tell you what it is, yeah, what it's yeah. about. It would, there would be an, exci- an excitement around it, but the novelty would wear off the next time it happened. But I just want to kind of be excited for whatever this yeah, film is. You feel a bit hoodwinked, didn't you? Yeah, actually. yeah. So kind of did for Ten Cloverfield Lane. They did that, yeah. but that, it kind of worked for that. I think it worked for that franchise. But now, I mean, they're announcing superhero films into 2021 yeah, at the so moment, so... Is a, there's That's a reversal as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess the the salient point here that you were saying, Jacob, is that I guess the most the most positive thing we can do is just shine a light on use reviews to shine a light on the things we think are worth it. I always think of like distilling our job down to here's some cool shit. That's, that's, that's yeah. like how I like to think about it, and yeah. I think that's noble. Just like trying to make people interested in something that you think someone's made and they've done a really good job of. Yeah, so I think that's the best way to. And I guess in some ways also. Um, warning people off the really bad films as well like the ones yeah. that, have, that you've been really offended by I mean because yeah. I, I personally feel like I don't write um, negative reviews half as much as I do positive reviews Same, yeah. yeah which is because we just got a lot of love to give I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. we, we just we guys got a lot of love to give you know <laughs> yeah no, but I think that's uh, you know yeah I, I agree with what you say but then every now and then throw in a do not see this awful yeah, yeah. independent film See, so yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, maybe tighten up your critics list a little bit and also maybe get a redesign. I feel like a Splat Tomato is very 90s by this point. <laughs> very <laughs> 90s. Splat Tomato is very 90s. All yeah. right, Jacob, Jack, thanks for Thank you. Thank by. you. That was Colonel's episode 10. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts on that debate and any others or any others you'd like to see us cover. Um, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Colonel's. And yeah, subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes if you get a chance. All right, bye.